0: Michael Heyman, and you're listening to Changemakers. Joining me today is Hardeep Ray, the founder of Kaleidoscope Group, the portfolio of companies campaigning for no barriers to business for those with disabilities. The journey began for Hadeep after his son Ishan was born following complications which led to a severe brain injury, learning difficulties and a physical disability. From a successful career in financial services, Hadeep soon understood no amount of wealth could reverse a disability, but that the attitudes from those with wealth to disabled people certainly could be changed. Starting Kaleidoscope Investments, the fund putting money behind business ideas originating from people with disabilities, had. Hadeep has helped many disabled entrepreneurs throughout their business life cycle with a motto that integration, not discrimination, is our motivation. Hadi, welcome to Changemakers. Thank you, Michael. Delighted to be with you today, Sam. Now, you and I have known each other for some years, and I, I tell you, and I, I just said this to you off air. Is if anyone wants to get the sense of the emotion of this story, go to your website, look at those photographs with your gorgeous son, Ishan. I mean, born in 2006. Let's start the story there, Hardeep, in terms of what happened and where you went. Okay, Michael.
1: So let me take you paint a picture of my life just before Ishan and then when Ishan was born and then how it changed afterwards. So my life before Ishan was very money-orientated life. Uh, when you're in the hedge fund industry, you're in the city, you're surrounded by wealth, you're really focused on just making money and buying cars and doing all these nice, wonderful things, which to be fair, Michael, many of us, that's what we strive for. You know, you leave university, you want good jobs, you want to work in the city that's what you think life is all about. And I was fortunate in my career. You know, I worked for Dartmoor, which is a fantastic hedge fund for many, many years. And I had some great roles and sort of market standing, if you like. So let's just say in those days, if I picked up the phone call and I called somebody, then my phone would be answered. And then when my my ex-wife now got pregnant with Ishan, obviously there was a lot of excitement and, you know, people are always excited about children. And and we knew that Ishan was going to be our only child because my, my ex-wife was sort of in her late 30s at the time. So we just put our, all our hopes on one child and all the usual preparation about, you know, the best schools, getting your nursery ready and everything you do. And come the 18th of November 2006, uh, when when my wife went into labour, there was a last minute birthing complication. And I remember being told by the nurse in a sort of corridor Don't worry, everything's going to be fine. You're going to hear your little baby cry in, you know, 10, 20 minutes. And that cry never came, Michael. We just waited and waited and waited and what had happened very sadly was Ishan had sustained a severe brain injury he lacked oxygen for 17 minutes and I think that that moment was first the first thing I thought immediately when I heard if if, you know what had happened was it's okay I've got a good amount of money in the bank I'll be able to reverse whatever whatever the problem is and unfortunately I found out pretty quickly that no amount of money can reverse brain damage and I think that was the changing point in my 36 years of life Michael in an instant where Mm. i suddenly thought oh my god everything i've worked for everything i've lived for just crumbled around me you know within within a, a matter of minutes and i think one of the the hardest things the hardest decisions we had to make first of all was you've got seven days in which to decide if you want to keep this child because he's going to be severely disabled So that was the first thing. You know, we had to make a decision on whether or not we wanted to keep each or not. And try and imagine that, right? You've got a baby in front of you. I'm
0: just, I mean, you're speaking so fluently about it, but I, I, I can, I mean, just, I think the way you've, you sort of, you know, sort of characterize those chapters. I mean, you, you go into this, you're, you know, you're at the top of your game, everything is available to you and what you're doing. And then all of a sudden you face something where in a matter of moments, those 17 minutes that you spoke about your, your whole life changes. And, mm-hmm. and then you're facing another set of changes. And I'm just wondering, you know, we're, we're going to talk about each in, in in some detail in a moment, but in terms of the, the person that Hadeep was becoming in that, experience and I guess trying to understand who you've become later on is were there were there chapters here in terms of how how you experience with the with the stress of the situation.
1: Yes, there were. And, and I've started talking about my own mental health quite openly nowadays, Michael. I never used to, to be honest, but in the last few months I have. And I would say the five years, if you put it into a five-year window of post eshan being born, was the hardest five years of my entire existence because I went from somebody that was really robust, really dependable, really clear, had plans of action, to somebody that was a ball of emotion, a robot, because for a period of time, you just become a robot. You know, my -hmm. my ex-wife went through depression at that time. Um, And, you know, men's health, postnatal depression, right, can actually happen to men as well. We don't normally talk about that, but Mm -hmm. I went through that. I went through anxiety, I went through panic attacks, I went through suicide, su- suicidal thoughts. There wasn't any emotion that I didn't go through during that time, but there was a sense in me that, and this is the most amazing thing about Ishan and children like Ishan is that although they're not able to communicate in a way that's conventional, there's something spiritual within them that is more powerful I, I, I than and, anything.
0: And you see that wonderful aura in the photography between the two of you, it's it's joyful. If I'm honest, it's it's just so emotive, and 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 the fact is, is that from that moment of sheer distress has come something enduring and wonderful and loving and all the best of the human experience that certainly an outsider can see, and and also. I guess for you personally, is that you found a purpose as well in terms of something well above and beyond the conventions of of, of the day job. You know, you found a campaigner's heart and a a campaigner's mission.
1: I did indeed. I did indeed. But it took a long time, Michael. You know, in the way you said about chapters, I would say it was only in the last seven or eight years that I really figured out what it was that I wanted to do because I think the challenge with disability is that when you're not expecting it when it comes to you and I was we were alluding earlier to the fact that society can disable you especially in the Indian culture and um, I was treated with so much discrimination it was mm. unbelievable from friends and family and, and loved ones to people feeling very awkward about coming to talk to you and that's actually what made me realize what people with disabilities go through because I think in life in order for you to feel purposeful you need to feel something from your heart Mm -hmm. and it has to hit you because disability or anything else is not something you can explain to someone you have to feel it and I think through the way I was treated and what I felt I actually met Shane Bratby, who's my business partner now and when he explained to me that people with disabilities can't raise money for their businesses I suddenly thought Michael I've got all this Mm -hmm. amazing experience right why don't I find some purpose in really helping people with disabilities? And and that was how it all started.
0: You talked about the discrimination there. I mean, yes. I, I interviewed Dr. Caroline Casey, who who I know you you will know as a as a as a superb disability campaigner, Absolutely. creator of the Valuable Five Hundred. I mean, her point is is that disability is something that everybody will experience at some point in their life if they're around for long enough. I mean, in, in the end is that, you know, old age will present a form of, of disability. So this kind of like almost like shutting off by society seems to be you know, a tremendously short-sighted thing to do. Very much so. Very much so. And and
1: I have come across many people that have judged in the past. And I don't want to say what goes around comes around, but it generally does. And, you know, what I get a lot of now, Michael, is people that have touched disability or that have had accidents and become disabled. Suddenly all that are parents that have given birth to children with disabilities approaching me and asking mm. me for my guidance. Whereas before they didn't even want to know who I was. You mm. know, so, so actually this is... You, you hit, And Caroline, who I admire greatly, is absolutely right. Every single one of us will, will become disabled. And the funny thing is, even those of us that think we're not disabled, mm-hmm. right, physically or, or emotionally, in some way might be by the fact that we've got these preconceptions of things we do or don't want to do in life. That's mm-hmm. a disability. And mm-hmm. if you think about COVID and the effect that COVID had on all of us, right? the world was disabled for a period of time in the fact that we were all at home and couldn't do anything. Right. Mm. So, you know, we've all, we've all experienced it in some way. I I couldn't agree with you more.
0: Now We'll we'll talk about Kaleidoscope, but before we do, I want you to talk about Ishan in your own words and introduce him to us.
1: Ishan is uh, an incredible 15 year old little boy who in my eyes, and when I say this sincerely is actually perfect Mm. because I see him as perfect. I see him as being created in exactly the way that he needs to be created. I'm going to start with the things that he can do. And then I'll tell you the things that he can't do. What he has got is a phenomenal spirit of love that you can only really experience when you touch him or when you come within his aura, Mm -hmm. because he is unable to speak. He is unable to visually see. He is unable to touch. He is unable to be independent. He's unable to communicate. Right. So that's a funny thing. You you can't actually sort of engage in a conversation with him. But I've come to live with the fact that I'm preempting what I think he feels from the touch and from the feeling, from the looks on his face and from his smiles and his emotions. Mm-hmm. And he is, you know, one of the things I do, funnily enough, Michael, even though he's only 15, is I sit down and have weekly meetings with him. <laughs> and I just talk to him as though he's sort of understanding what's going on. Mm. And I don't know what he does. What he doesn't understand, but all I know is that when I'm in his presence, somehow in a funny way, he'll laugh at a moment where you'll just think he got it. You know, mm. it's one of those and things. So he's-
0: but this feeling is—is—is it—is it spiritual? I mean, what what is the? If yeah. it feels like there's something that is beyond words, beyond traditional yes. forms of communication because there is a connection isn't
1: there there was a I want to relate to the photo that I put on LinkedIn on Ishin's birthday the 18th of November last year now in that photo is me and Ishin lying down in a hospital bed and we're in his own room and everything was as silent as you could imagine and all I was doing Michael was I was whispering I was just whispering And in all my 15 years of experience with Ishin, there was never a moment more when I felt he understood what I was saying. Mm. Right. And it was just so silent. And he usually looks to the left. But every time I said something, he turned to the right. And I could feel this energy coming from him that was just unexplainable. But I knew that he knew that we were together and we were in perfect harmony and I think that is why that particular photo and moment was captured and went absolutely crazy on social media very innocently because people could see that as well so yes there is something very spiritual mm. about him Michael I mean very and, much it, so.
0: it, and we will put that that photograph with with this episode so that people people can um, people can see it and it makes me feel that there there are these twin tracks of of two hard deep stories right you know the, the story of the person that was the hedge fund investor you know working with a former member of dragon's den and all these sorts of things that that i suppose led to the to the profit, as in the the ability to make money. And then there is this purposeful person that really does also say, well, actually, you can do something with all of that financial energy and all of that ability. And, you know, your your quote that you share with us in, in your lockdown list is that if you lead with purpose, people will follow and profit will come. My question, I suppose, was that did it take 2006 for you to learn that lesson and to really feel it? Do you think?
1: Yes, absolutely, Michael. I hate to admit it, but I was just sort of very, very money-driven, very success-driven, very status-driven. I was very ostentatious because that was my that was my community and my circle. And I think that you know when when Ishan happened, there was another thing that happened to me actually, which was a tsunami in 2004. So I was in that Boxing Day tsunami. That was that was a, a miraculous wow. escape, mm-hmm. miraculous escape. So that helped me to. Really Realize something, but Ishan was life transforming. So it did take that incident to make me realise that there was a parallel world but what actually really made me feel that I have to do something about it, Michael, is the way that I was treated by people and the mm. way that I was treated by society and this is what a lot of people with disability will say is that actually they're quite capable of doing things but it's society that prevents them because they have these pre- preconceptions on what they can't do and that was the thing that got me angry, you know, so something got me really angry, I thought, on, this is not right, mm. I've come from a world i've been made to feel a way that i probably made other people feel pre-2006 right and i have to do something about
0: that but the anger was has clearly become something else because you do yes. not come across as an angry person and no, no, that so if that's a pipeline i suppose which finishes up in kaleidoscope investments which you launch in 2015 what was the sort of like the process of actually you Know what takes you from anger to action, I guess?
1: I think it was um the, the first shout out I'd like to give here is to Nat West, Michael, because Nat West trusted in us when we really needed them to. What what they did is they gave us a boardroom and they enabled me to run a conference where I had places for 35 people and 70 came actually showed up two days uh they told us two days before so they were, these
0: are potential investors or potential uh, invest- these are actually disabled entrepreneurs so the right. so
1: potential investors sorry i should yeah. have said that yeah so this is this was the first thing that made me realize that actually there is a marketplace here is we we put out a small post we said disabled entrepreneurs conference if you're disabled and you'd like to learn more about starting your own business then this is the date this is the time register your interest and that west enabled us to use one of their one of their meetings rooms and we had a conference that was so mind-blowing i can't mm. begin to tell you and the inspiration that i felt from being at that meeting just standing up being with 35 we had to do two two sessions of 35 each right we didn't have 70 people in the room but standing up and dealing and talking to people with so many different types of disabilities michael made me realize mm. oh my god this is a world that i did not even know existed
0: but what i mentioned disability but drive wanting to Actually. go and do things uh, am- amazing things and you know we, we could talk about some of the sort of i guess that how kaleidoscope has gone forward with some of those investments but i think in in so doing we should talk a little bit about shane Bratbury, who is who is your 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 co-founder who lives with a neurodegenerative disorder called friedrich's ataxia he he was very instrumental wasn't he in the journey for Absolutely. you in terms of talking about the judgments and challenges that disabled people face in, in starting a business. But let's pick up the story there, if you will, in terms of what you learned and actually how how that then became, I suppose, forwards into the mission that took you to that boardroom.
1: That's a great question. So, so Shane, when Shane first approached me, the first thing I felt from Shane, funnily enough, is a real sense of love and passion and resilience. And the way that he communicates is so... So from the heart that I thought to myself, this guy, any word that comes out of his mouth to do with disabled entrepreneurship, he really knows what he's talking about. So mm. the, the point about credibility first was, was massive. And when he told me about his story, imagine this, Michael, a few years before I met him, he had been robbed in Doncaster in his shop and someone had poured petrol over him and had lit a match and threatened to put him alight if he was not going to hand over money. Now, when Shane told me that story, combined with the fact that he's already outlived his life expectancy by five years, I thought to myself, this guy is... What, what kind of? Like, uh, it's just unbelievable. I mean, how he much more resilient? It, yeah. yeah. And and so those two things made me realise that this is an individual that's got real character, real charisma. Lives every day like it could be his last medically. Okay. Mm. And and that was a huge driver for me, Michael, because I thought to myself, if he understands this world of disability and entrepreneurship, and he's lived it himself, and I understand the world of investing and raising money, this could be a perfect match made in heaven. But it was those two things, Michael, that he told me that really drove me to feel that I need to I need to work with this guy in
0: some way. And I suppose in terms of when you bring people together that have got that shared purpose, that shared energy and also a backstory which gives them yeah. real drive, real a, a real a real sense of, you know, as you say, that, that I mean, mortality seems to be quite a quite a theme in this interview in terms of what do you what do you do with the time that's allotted to you? Let's talk about how you've done that through through the prism of kaleidoscope. Just introduce it now to us in twenty twenty two in terms of people that may well not have heard of what it does as a investor, recruiter, and an advisor.
1: Well, actually, so the simple the simple thing is that we invest in people with disabilities, we help people that want to find employment that are disabled find jobs, and we can help companies become more D and I compliant, you know, so they can hire more people with disabilities. But actually, what's really happened that the, the summer Substance of the answer to that question, Michael, is the learning that I've had in the last year and a half, which is we've become an organization that builds disabled people first through an incubator program right it's all about understanding who you are what you want and then how you can achieve it right and then it then it becomes go down the investment room recruitment route but actually what I've learned and I've met over 1300 disabled people in the last seven years and that's personally Michael, across 65 disabilities is that there's a huge amount of confidence that's been knocked. Huge mm. lack of self esteem and, sh- and the, the biggest issue is huge amount of opportunity that they should have taken away from them. Mm. So actually, in this incubator program, what we do is we t- we talk to them about what are your talents, what are your hidden talents, what is it that you want to do rather than what society wants you to do, and how can we help you to get back into that place? where you can really maximise your potential and find your purpose, mm. right? That's what we've become, actually. It's more about building people with disabilities to become the best that they can be and then create opportunities for them.
0: And do you get a sense that in terms of that, that mission, which is clearly having, you know, success within within the parameters of, of, of the organisation that you are building, when you look at society and disability and you look at the journey that everything from the way we address poverty and disability through the way that we address access, the role of leaders, the huge to-do list that you will know so very, very well that, that represent the series of ceilings that disabled people have to live with every day in, day out. Your sense of the future, I mean, how does the positive person address a mountain that seems so high to climb i'm uh, i'm
1: actually very positive about this funnily enough michael and i'm positive because i've watched the trends over the last seven years and i think in the last two years with you, you mentioned dr caroline casey earlier in a valuable 500 phenomenal initiative i think mm. she's done a remarkable job in trying to get people in organisations to put disability on the board agenda. We are 15, that movement, the National Disability Strategy, even though I know there's a few issues around it. But the point is people have put disability onto the agenda, right? And that agenda
0: creates the case for change.
1: Totally, absolutely right. So so it's awareness, isn't it? The bottom line Mm. is you just need to make people aware, but there's, there's two things that come with awareness. The first is just generally think about disability, but the bigger level of awareness is you need to give people the opportunity, right? Because you have to understand that you've got unconscious biases and preconceptions about what people with disabilities can do. And what we're saying is you have to find a way to wipe the slate clean and give them a chance. And I've seen some remarkable things.
0: So advise somebody who sat there thinking, I want to do precisely that. What's the step that they should take?
1: So I think the step you should do, so if you, first of all, I mean, I can sit with two hats, an investor and an employer. If I sit with the hat of an employer, the first thing I would think about is think about your business and what it is that you need to do as an employer and the products that you're selling and whether or not those products can be sold to the disabled community. And if they can, think about hiring two or three disabled people that Mm. will help you to increase your revenues and get you into a new community of people Mm. that you haven't even thought about.
0: Well, it's funny, when when I interviewed Carolyn, I mean, I thought she was fantastic when she spoke about the fact of. Look at disability as a market, right? You know, this, this is this is a huge number of human beings on the planet. Um yes. yeah. but but I suppose I suppose that, that's the head speaking, right? There's you know, there are things you can do, but in terms of how leaders change, how leaders get comfortable with the change and start to embrace it, feel it, act on it. What's your advice to leaders that are sat here thinking, I want to do something more here? That I, I want to take practical steps, practical actions to help address the challenge?
1: So I think the first thing I'd advise leaders to think is they have to think outside of the box and they have to give opportunities through some kind of programs, Michael. Okay, you could have a program or an initiative to bring in more people with disabilities into the workplace, right? I would really encourage leaders to speak and interact with people with disabilities because until you do that, in the way that I have, you won't have a clear what their potential is. Right. And, and I would say to the leaders, don't be far removed. Don't don't do it through your leadership chain. Do it yourself. Find a way to run an event and invite people with disabilities and many many people are doing this Michael, right now mm. many people
0: and, and i think okay so, so that speaks to the open-minded i guess what about speaking to yourself pre-2006 knowing that's, what you know now <laughs> what would you tell yourself
1: uh, that's a very good question Michael. that's a very good question if i remember who i was in those days i was very one-track minded i was very focused and i don't think I have to be honest. If Vision hadn't happened, I don't know that I would have. I would have considered thinking about disability. I, I suppose, actually, just thinking about it, I would probably need to be in an accidental situation or in an environment where I wasn't intending to be, but suddenly I then interacted with a person that touched me. In some way right so like you just said it's not it's not you're not thinking with the head you're almost thinking with the heart something has to happen to make you be in an environment where you meet someone and you think oh my god I mean a really quick example of this is um we 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 did an event okay and I got a university graduate to help me to sort of volunteer and he came with his friends and they were very adverse to disability Michael okay but then they met a blind girl and they completely fell for her. And mm. they fell for her in a way that they forgot that she was blind. And they both spent the whole afternoon trying to woo her. And one of them won at the end of the day by her looping her arm in him, right? Oh. Now, how interesting. Two grads that are very visual fell, fell for a lady that was blind, mm. right? Now, that was accidental. And that changed both of their lives, forever right so you might need more, more
0: organized serendipity in terms of <laughs> how you bring people together but you know thinking about the things that have kept us apart i mean obviously the pandemic has been a you know a huge chapter in in our lives and and of course we are now looking at the first glimpses, I suppose, of how we might emerge from that pandemic as a society, and and different people have got different views about how we emerge, kinder and more caring, or or, or the polar the polar opposite. What's your sense in terms of how we're going to look back on the pandemic and and, and what it what it proved to be in terms of its relationship and its its effect on disability?
1: Mm, From the hardy point of view, and I have lost people that that are close to me as well, I have to say I think the pandemic represented a correction in society in many ways that people had to go through. I have spoken to many people that are much more purposeful about life after the pandemic, that are much more thoughtful about how they want to spend their money, where they want to go to eat, what they want to do, what friends they want to have around them, because they're reflective, right? Mm. They're actually thinking that you could be here today and you could be gone tomorrow. And we all sadly know people that that's happened to. So so actually, I think that people that have said the the life will never be the same again, but actually for those days that we do live, it will be more meaningful because we're actually doing something that's not robotic, it's not processed, it's thought out. Mm. So I, I actually think that there are many good things that have come out of the pandemic. And I think there will be opportunities for entrepreneurs, especially in the disabled space, as I see all the time, every day, okay, to, to actually launch new ideas and new businesses that are in that marketplace. I think there is, you know, the fact that there are so many sectors now that are desperate, for employment is actually creating opportunities for more disabled people mm. to be retrained and go into those sectors so i think actually for disability and, and and the final thing i'll say michael is that one of the things our charity did we have a foundation as well we set up a little sharing circle for people with disabilities because we thought that we'd help them to feel more comforted when they were when we were going through a pandemic and actually the funny thing was they were the ones that were calming the non-disabled people in the room because mm-hmm. their view was welcome to my world. Yeah. I live in isolation very often, right? Mm-hmm. So, so there, there was much more of a sort of understanding and passion towards disability that I've seen.
0: And I, I've got to say, and you, you can feel the irrepressible entrepreneur in you, Hadi. Now, well, last we are, we're out, almost out of time, but what I, what I don't <laughs> want to do is finish before I ask you about Ishan today. Tell, tell us a little bit about what he's up to and, and and let's finish the story there. And I suppose the message that you'd like him to sort of, or you'd like others to hear from him to sort of conclude our, our, our conversation.
1: So I think Ishan today is in a beautiful home that is is near Cambridge at the moment. It's a residential home. They have a school and his and and his home there as well. I FaceTime him every single day and I go and see him a couple of times a week. And Ishan is actually doing quite well within himself. You know, he loves bird sounds. He loves nature. He loves being in water in hydrotherapy. And I think one of the most beautiful things about him, Michael, is simplicity, simplicity. You know, with everything that I've got on my shoulders with Kaleidoscope and the rest of the world, if I go and see Ishin and he smiles, everything mm. is perfect. Everything mm. is perfect, right? And that's the most beautiful thing about him. And I think that sometimes if you think about things from a religious point of view, the fact that Ishin is so blissfully ignorant means that he can't harm anybody. He can't have sinful thoughts. He's just purely innocent, right? Mm. And that's real beauty about him is that till today, from the very first yeah. eye, he's purely innocent. Mm. And there is power in that innocence, Michael. There's power in that innocence. And I think That's what I realized. And when I think about the final Mm -hmm. message from Ishin, it's, Think about the drive and the purpose and what what people want to do in life because he is my inspiration. I mean, yes, I'm a Christian, but Ishan drives me. That's my motivation to do what I do every single day. And mm. and I think that um, yeah, he's doing he's doing well. And I'm very I'm very I feel very pleased that he is the way he is and he is where he is. Too. I
0: I tell you, the hairs on the back of my neck are on end. I mean I I, I mean I because innocence is the right word to describe him. And Hardik, thank you so much for sharing your story and i know it's going to make a lot of people think twice about disability do things about disability and actually congratulations to you for all that you do as a genuine change maker thank you for joining me thank you michael
1: Privileged to be here
0: change makers is brought to you by the campaign's firm seven hills and presented by me michael hayman pure being is the name of our soundtrack and it's written and performed by the brilliant bt wolf To find out more, head over to changemakers.works. And if you like what you hear, why not give us a rating?